Welcome to Wiki Bros. I'm Justin. This is Kyle. And this is a show with a couple of guys exploring various Wikipedia articles. So, Kyle, I thought today we would explore the Salem Witch Trials. Okay. You brought this up on one of the other podcasts. I'm kind of curious to see what you dug up. Yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty interesting. It's a lot more in-depth than anything I learned in high school. I mean, I mostly remember them burning and hanging people. Right. And they and really started, it got so out of hand, they started like, you know, everybody was on the table to be a target. If you did something wrong, they like automatically claimed you were a witch. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. There's a little bit of family rivalries. Okay. It gave me kind of like the uh, Romeo and Juliet vibe going there. Really? Yeah. And <clears throat> so people got accused based on their family, right? Okay. Honestly, there's a lot of key players and events that without, you know, even one of those, things could have been drastically different. Basically, what we've got going on here is is the witch trials. This wasn't something new, all right? This, so it didn't originate in Salem is what you're saying? No. This had been going on in Europe since the 15th century. Oh, right? Okay. At this point in time, though, that it started in Salem, which was 1692 and 1693, uh-huh. pretty much all of Europe had said ah we're done we're done with this like they're they're i mean there were fringes right Right. but for the most of europe they were they were done with it they weren't doing anything like this anymore so it just took this long for this to reach so the u.s basically well and even before this there were witch trials and other parts besides salem Hmm. but we remember salem because of the amount of the accused and the number of death penalties imposed, right? So basically, it, it, we know them because they just got so far out of hand. Yes, that, exactly. That is the most popular event, basically. Yep. So I, I'm going to read you some ideas that people had. Okay. Um, going back to the, well, hell, back to 1440, okay? Because, like I said, this had been going on for a long time. Since the, you know, since the 1400s, really. Right. People weren't, uh, it's not like they were all stupid. There were there were some people out there that were like, hey, like this is wrong. I mean, they objected to them, maybe not only for theological reasons, but uh, they, were, they objected to them on the uh, basis of their abuses of the law. Right. Um, scientific reasons, medical reasons, and then, the, you know, even the uh, attribution of alleged sorcery to fraud, right? Huh. So... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go over all of these, but here's some of these objections, right? From 1515, objected that torture could lead to false confessions. Oh, obviously. 1563, objected to legal abuses and improper methods of trial. They have examples of improper improper methods of trial. Well, I mean, it's just it's I'm I don't have any in front of me, but. Oh, okay. It, it happened. Right? I'm sure we'll read through some as we go. Oh, yeah. So then you've got uh, 1631, argue that there was no empirical evidence for allegations of witchcraft, even self-confessed. As far back as 1635, Roman Inquisition acknowledged that the Inquisition has found scarcely one trial conducted legally, right? <laughs> Which... You know the Roman Inquisition. It was a. Uh, it was like a system of partisan tribunals developed by the Catholic Church. Okay. So that, and they're even saying that back in 1635. And then you've got the uh, 
1440 blamed clergy for permitting such beliefs to flourish. And that's absolutely true. Right. And 1500 believed that many reports of alleged witchcraft could be explained by means of medical conditions. 1540 cautioned against confusing witchcraft with mental illness. Well, I mean, to, to, to reference this, we've when we did some of the uh, possessions and exorcisms, mm-hmm. very similar circumstances. Yep. It, it, was, it wasn't deemed, you're not a witch, it was deemed you're possessed by, and a lot of those people had mental health issues. 1563, physician Johannes Weyer, okay? Okay. Women accused of being witches were suffering from an imbalance of the humors resulting from the devil's interference and viewed their belief as imaginary. Okay? So, Weyer's approach to this has been considered a precursor to modern psychiatric methods from back in 1563, right? Right. So, anyway, the point is, is that it wasn't like everybody was just going around thinking that there were witches roaming around everywhere. And even if they did believe that there were witches out there, they didn't believe that you could just basically try anybody for being a witch just by saying, hey, they're a witch. Right. Right. So it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't widespread like that. But when it comes to Salem, man, that's it was like new to them. And they just went full throttle on it. So it's kind of kind of neat. Mm. You've got back in um, 1668, a man by the name of Joseph Glanville. He puts out a book against modern sodicism, and he claims that he could prove the existence of witches and ghosts of the supernatural realm. Basically, he's saying that if you say that you doubt that witches exist, then you're denying that demons exist, and you're denying Almighty God, right? Nice manipulation. Yes. So he wanted to prove that the supernatural could not be denied, and those who would deny apparitions were considered heretics, basically because, you know, it disproved their belief in angels. Right. So you've got this guy and Cotton Mather. Do you remember Cotton Mather? Vaguely. Yeah, that's the way I was. I recognize the name, but... I mean, it's, you know, this is... When, when did we last hear about this? Probably middle school? Right. Well, <clears throat> Cotton Mather along with Glanville, tried to prove that demons were alive. But it's like, if it wasn't for Cotton Mather, I would say this might not have ever happened. Between between Cotton Mather and Increase Mather, which increases Cotton's dad, Okay, okay between the two of them, man, they really set uh, this new colony up for these witch trials. It's crazy. So what you've got here is New England at this time, It's it's been settled by religious dissenters, right? And right. they're seeking to build a Bible-based society. And this is, this is their whole plan in life, right? But some events happen that change their setting, okay? So in 1684, there was a charter that was vacated, okay? It was a 1629 Royal Charter of Massachusetts Bay Colony, okay? So King James II, he instills Edmund Andros as governor of the Dominion of New England. And at the same time as when Increase Mather publishes a book on witchcraft. So 
Now you skip forward a few years to 1689, and Andros was ousted after the glorious revolution in England, replaced the Catholic James II with the Protestant co-rulers, William and Mary. You know the College of William and Mary? Right. Right? Okay. So, Increased Mather's son, Cotton, publishes his book on witchcraft this same year. Now, we go into 1690, and Increase is over in London, and he brings out an edition of his son's book in, in London. I don't know if he just thought that his son's book was so much better in his book or what, but it doesn't really matter. The point is, is that they're both really hitting hard on the idea of uh, witches and witchcraft. Okay? Right, right. And so now he's bringing this out in London. Well, in 1691, a new charter for the enlarged province of Massachusetts Bay was given the final approval. And Increase Mather, who has been working on this charter for four years, is in charge of filling up these government seats. And he handpicks all of the men in government. Without this one event right here, things would have been completely different, I'm sure. Right. But now he is handpicking out these men who obviously he's going to pick um, people who agree with him, right? Now, did you say this is happening in England? Well, this is, well, the... This is where they were given the charter for the, you know, because the U.S. is still not the U.S. yet. Right, right. right. So, yeah, this is going on in England, but he's handpicking out the members of the government for right. the Massachusetts Bay Colony. But Europe had already went through this witch situation, correct? And, and they had. and they. And, but he's still writing books on it? So, yes. But he's over here. Right. He's traveled over there. Yeah, he's still writing, because there's still people that believe in it. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. Now he's just basically pulling out people that share his similar beliefs and pl- placing them in government positions. Right. So He's, he's made himself a like, borderline little cult here. Yeah, exactly. So we move into 1692, and news of Mather's charter and the appointment of Phipps, as the new governor, had reached Boston by late January, and a copy of the charter reached Boston on February 8th of 1692, okay? Phipps arrives in Boston May 14th and sworn in as governor two days later, along with his lieutenant governor, William Stoughton. One of the first orders of business for the new governor and council on May 27th of that year was the formal nomination of County Justices of Peace sheriffs, and the commission of a special court to handle the large number of people who were thronging in the jails. So, now you've got their hand-picked guy right. who is setting up the justice of peace, right? They're setting up these special courts, and this is where we, where it's all about of about these, to take off now. Oh, man, it's, it's getting there, okay? Now, you got to keep in mind, and I didn't realize this, Salem Village and Salem Town, two different places. Okay. Okay. I really should have looked them up to see uh, how far apart they are, but the way I pictured it is like a uh, Lafayette, West Lafayette, Champaign-Urbana type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the way it seems to me. Okay. Basically, Salem Village is present-day Danvers, Massachusetts. Okay. Okay, and Salem Town is Salem. But they are, they're, they've got to be close to each other. 
because they share a lot of the same stuff. Okay. Salem Village, man, they are fighting all the time there. Okay. Arguments over property lines, grazing rights, church privilege, right? They're they're out of control um, fighting with each other. In 1672, the villagers had voted to hire a minister of their own apart from the minister at Salem Town, okay? Okay. So the first one they get is a guy named James Bailey. He is there from 1673 until 1679. And then you get George Burroughs. And I want you to remember that name, George Burroughs, okay? Okay. He's their second minister. He's in there from 1680 to 1683. Now, both of them departed because the congregation failed to pay them their full rate, okay? So they're like, we're not sticking around and doing this job for less than what we're promised to be paid. Right. So now you get you get a third minister. Now, this guy, he's not that important to our story, but he's there from 1684 to 1688. He left just because uh, the church in Salem refused to ordain him, but it wasn't over issues dealing with the congregation, okay? Gotcha. But now, with his departure, comes 1689, when they hire Samuel Paris as the first ordained minister, okay? Samuel Paris is another key player in this. They hire him for 66 pounds annually, which is one-third part in money, and the other two-thirds are in provisions and use of the parsonage, right? Right. So this was in uh, this was June 18th of 1689 when they hired him. And October 10th of 1689, they raised his benefits, voting to grant him the deed to the parsonage and two acres of land. Now, seems a little like um, some corruption going on to me. Right. Right? It, and maybe not, but it sure seems like it. Now, when they voted to give him the deed to the parsonage and the land, right, this was a conflict because they had a 1681, right, eight years earlier, they had a resolution that disallowed conveying houses or lands belonging to the ministry to any particular person. Well, not only that, but the you know the, the two prior ministers left for lack of payment. So right. and you would pay them, but now all of a sudden you're giving this, and, this guy extras? Maybe they were just hoping to keep him. They're like, yeah, Possibly. we screwed up in the past, but it seems like a little bit of corruption going on yeah. there to me. Right. I might be wrong. But either way, this was, you know, like I say, they, they had a resolution in place that said they weren't supposed to give any particular person the land or the parsonage. It was always supposed to basically belong to the church, so whoever came in there, but they deeded it over to him. Right. Now, Paris is unable to settle the disputes going on throughout his congregation, right? They're fighting all the time. And he kind of makes matters worse because he basically uh, he sought out iniquitous behavior in the congregation. All right, so he's he takes... Um, church members who are in good standing in their church, right? And he has them suffer a public penance for even small infractions. So this is increasing the tension within the village, right? Right. And it just it's just going on and on. So now you've got all of these people who are just like every day that goes by, they're hating each other more and more. 
okay? Now, let me give you a little bit of the religious context here, okay? So, prior to the constitutional turmoil of the 1680s, right, the Massachusetts government was dominated by conservative, Puritan, secular leaders, right? The Puritans uh, and the Church of England, they both shared common influence in Calvinism, but Puritans opposed many of the traditions of the Church of England. The use of the Book of Common Prayer, the use of clergy vestments during the service, um, use of the sign of the cross at baptisms, kneeling to receive communion. Okay, all these they believed uh, basically constituted popery. All right. Now, King Charles the First. I'm throwing a bunch of names at you. Some of them you don't have to. Me- I'll, I'll let you know when you okay. memorize them. Okay. King Charles the First. He's pretty hostile to this viewpoint, and the church officials try to repress these dissenting views during the 1620s and 30s. Now, some Puritans and, and other religious minorities had sought refuge in the Netherlands, but ultimately made a major migration to colonial North America to establish their own society. Now, these immigrants mostly constituted of families established several of the earliest colonies in New England, right? But Massachusetts Bay Colony, that's going to be their big one, okay? It's the largest, it's the most economically important. They intended to build a society based on their religious beliefs. So colonial leaders were elected by the freemen, right? The freemen of the colony. Basically, what they considered a freeman at this time is uh, individuals who had their religious experiences formally examined and had been admitted to one of the colony's Puritan congregations. Okay, so they're a church member. Gotcha. The colonial leadership were prominent members of their congregation, and they regularly consulted with local ministers uh, on issues facing the colonies. Okay. This is, keep in mind, this is the 1620s and 30s. We just did a little backup here to get this out of the way, okay? So, in the early 1640s, England erupts in a civil war. So, the Puritan-dominated parliamentarians, they emerged victorious, okay? Okay. And the crown was supplanted by the protectorate of Oliver Cromwell in 1653. Its failure led to restoration of the old order under Charles II. Now, immigration to New England slowed significantly in these years. And keep in mind, the people that you've got there already, they are deeply, deeply religious individuals, right? But with the slowing of the immigration going on there, these aren't there aren't more people coming over that are that are basically um, seeking their own uh, way away from religious persecution or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So what happens then is you get a a new merchant class beginning to develop, and they're less religiously motivated than the colony's early settlers. So these are just people that have grown up here. And they they didn't see what the their parents and grandparents and stuff saw. This is just their new way of life, and they're so they're not under the same mindset that the parents are. Now that plays a role in this too. Okay. Okay. Because 
now you have these people who don't act, you know, normal. All right. Basically, they didn't uh, necessarily conform to the religious standards. So it's a matter of not, not just how they act, but the clothes that they wear. And I want you to pay attention to that, the clothes that they wear. What do you picture when you picture a witch? Well, from every picture and movie you've seen, it's, you know, black pointy hat, black clothes or a dress. There you go. Black Maybe dresses, a broom. <laughs> a long black dress. Now, apparently, this was, at the time, something that was not uh, standard clothing for Puritan women. Black A black dress wasn't standard clothing? Yep. Okay. And so... They view it as provocative or... Well, or I'm not it? really sure, but it definitely wasn't something that uh, was at the high of their uh, religious <laughs> list here. Man, so many people would be dead already. And these days, like everywhere, wears black dresses. So let me give you a little bit of gender context here. Okay. okay. About 78% of the people accused and convicted of witchcraft are women. Right. Okay. Puritan belief and prevailing New England culture was that women were inherently sinful and more susceptible to damnation than men were. Seems about right. Okay. Okay. Puritan women actively attempted to thwart attempts by the devil to overtake them and their souls. Puritans held the belief that men and women were equal in the eyes of God, but not in the eyes of the devil. So they think that they are getting tempted more than men. Women were more likely to admit guilt of witchcraft than men. And some, you know, some likely believe this is a, that they had truly been given in to the devil, right? Right. Others believed that they may have been given in to the devil temporarily, but those who confessed were generally reintegrated into society, right? So <laughs> so you were better off for confessing, yeah, basically. Yeah, confess, and your your life goes back to normal, kind of. Or at least, at least you could spare your own life initially. You know, it doesn't always work, but that's... <laughs> right. All right. So... Let's get into this, um, these these books here, okay? Okay. So you've got Cotton Mather. He, you know, he puts out his book and he talks about how uh, the stupendous witchcraft had affected the children of Boston Mason John Goodwin. Okay. He illustrates how Goodwin's eldest child had been tempted by the devil and had stolen linen from the washerwoman Goody Glover. Glover is a, of Irish Catholic descent, and she's characterized as a disagreeable old woman and described by her husband as a witch. <laughs> so this may have been why I she, mean, maybe he just wasn't happy with his wife. Uh, I think he was very unhappy with his <laughs> wife. Wouldn't cook, wouldn't clean. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, he says, though, that, or they're saying that this, you know, may have been why she was accused of casting spells on the Goodwin children. Okay. After the event, four out of six Goodwin children began to have strange fits, or what some people refer to as the disease of astonishment. I've um, never heard of that. They're bratty kids, maybe? Yeah, that's... You know? But the manifestations attributed to the disease quickly became associated with witchcraft. 
So because he's saying she's a witch and they got these kids who are unruly, now what those kids are acting like is becoming associated with witchcraft. So anytime our kids act up, we can well, claim and it's it, a witchcraft. Well, the thing is, is that um, it could have been, there's a, there's a couple different um, ideas, but one of them is there was something that um, was in the wheat and I'm, I'm not going to remember it, but it's it caused some of these um, the actions that these kids are demonstrating. Okay, it absolutely could be linked to something going on in their food, basically. That's okay, causing this. But I mean, let me let me read through some something of this in and, the food is causing them to act out. Yes, it's not just an acting out type of thing. It's like what they let me let me read this to you. Okay, and see okay. if this makes sense to you. Symptoms included neck and back pains, tongues being drawn from their throats, and loud random outcries. Other symptoms, including having no control over their bodies, such as becoming limber, flapping their arms like birds, or trying to harm others as well as themselves. So what's that kind of sound like to you? I don't know about the flapping the birds. Well, I mean, their, their arms like birds. But if you're flopping around on the ground, you can't. You're having just, a seizure. I okay. mean, so they had an allergic reaction to, to something in the wheat, basically. That's exactly what it sounds like to me. Okay. The kids have seizures. And now anybody who has seizures. <laughs> Automatically a witch? Witch. Oh, man. Uh, or affected by witches, right? Right, right. Okay. So <clears throat> let me give you a little bit of a timeline. So, question. Yes. Do they punish the children for acting out like they're possessed by witches or, or whatever, however they so, rationalize this, or just the people who they claim are witches? It's it's kind of touchy. It depends. Okay. <laughs> so sometimes they get just the person afflicting them, and sometimes they get all of them. I feel because, like they need some standard rules here. Dude, it's, it's, it's crazy. It depends on who you are. Well, yeah. If you, so if you're in a high public standing, you're safe. And if you're not, then... Well... No, not so much with that one either? That's not necessarily the case either. Okay. So here's a little bit of a timeline. February of 1692. Betty Paris, who's nine years old, and Abigail Williams, who's 11. It's the daughter and niece of Samuel Paris. Remember Samuel Paris? Yes. Okay. They begin to have fits described as beyond the power of epileptic fits or natural disease to affect, okay, by John Hale, which is a minister of a nearby town. So he's saying, oh, they're acting like it's an epileptic fit, but it's beyond that. They're having seizures, <laughs> okay? Right, <laughs> All right. right. So... Said the girls, I mean, beyond that, it could be, um, I know that it's not a real common thing. I'm just throwing out ideas, but um, autism, right? I mean, that seems like it's a newer um, thing to happen to people, but I mean, there's always going to be something, if not the exact same thing as what we have now, similar. I mean, all throughout history, it's not like just... (laughs) Things just randomly happen after six thousand years, or you know, two million years. Okay, right? so just j- just to sorry, I had to look this up really quick. So, because I, I thought that's what it was. So apparently, 
with the wheat allergy. Yes. Gluten allergies, one of the symptoms that when you are highly allergic um, with with a, with gluten is seizures. So that is one of the worst worst case scenarios, basically. So if the the kids are all genetically predisposed to be allergic to gluten, then interesting, they're all suffering from the same gluten allergy, which is, and they all have severe reactions. You know, my my, my daughter had this, and and we, some of some of the stuff you go into really deep on this is like the. The gluten allergy with some of these people is so ridiculous, like they can't even reuse the pans that they were cooking stuff in because they will break out or in hives or something from oh. like there 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 are cases where the allergies are that you can literally rub it on their skin and it will immediately cause like a rash. Um, mm-hmm. So some people are so allergic to it. Now I hadn't heard of seizures, but uh, based on well, what, what I just read and in this case, it sounds like it, it's very common actually. For, I had never allergies. I'd never heard of gluten until three years ago. So. I, I, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess they, maybe they didn't diagnose it until you know, you know, re, I don't know when it was actually diagnosed. I have to look up the uh, the timeline, but uh, it didn't seem like it got popular right. until just a couple years right. ago. They but, was like everybody's got a gluten allergy, but uh, definitely is something that could have happened you know, 400 years ago. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. So, uh, speaking of these two girls, right, his daughter and his niece, so this is what they're saying about him. The girl screamed, threw things about the room, uttered strange sounds, crawled under furniture, and contorted themselves into peculiar positions. So it sounds like a demonic possession again. Or they're just having seizures. Oh, that too. (laughs) Well, this is kind of like what we were talking about with, um, even with even with the uh, the possession uh, podcast was you know the contorting is like could that be related to just seizures like and they're just trying to claim that right. that's, it's it's abnormal because they're having a seizure. So let's let's think about a seizure. So you're going to make strange sounds possibly. Yep. Oh, yep. If you're going to flop your arms around, okay. So if you've got something, you know near you you're basically throwing these things around with uh-huh. your arms wailing you are going to be in weird crazy peculiar position right okay <laughs> yeah i mean it's a lack of body control i mean that's, that's absolutely the definition of it i mean it's it's and everybody's seizures a little bit different so so this says the girls complained of being pinched and pricked with pins other young women in the village began to exhibit similar behaviors. Well, if you have something going on with your wheat, which you're all eating. Right. Seem like that could be a thing that other people could have. I mean, it would be very odd, though, for everybody. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be a, a gluten allergy if everybody's well, th- consistently so what, having the same problem. No, I, I agree. But what I read on it was it was something that was like in the wheat that wouldn't normally be there, but like an infestation of something. Some kind of bacteria right. on Some, the wheat, basically? Something like that. Okay, okay. So, so basically they were poisoned. And this was something that, from what, if I remember correctly, uh, they didn't come to this conclusion until sometime in the past 20 years, if I'm not mistaken. Right. right. But it's absolutely something that could have happened. Right. When a guest preached in the Salem Village Meeting House, he was interrupted several times by the outburst of the afflicted. Well, if they're experiencing this and they're taken to church and they have some sort of epileptic fit or whatever, right? (laughs) You can't control that. Like, it happens when it wants to happen. But the first three people accused and arrested for allegedly afflicting Betty Paris, Abigail Williams, 
and Putnam Jr. and Elizabeth Hubbard. These are the three that are the four people that were afflicted, okay? They were accusing Sarah Good. These are when you might want to start memorizing some of these Sarah names. Sarah Good, okay. Sarah Osborne and Tatuba. Uh, Tatuba was a servant. She was, uh, man, I wish I could remember. I think she was one of them's uh, servant. She's a, she was an enslaved South American Indian woman from the West Indies. She likely became the target because of, you know, her ethnic differences from most of the other villagers. Right. Uh, she was accused of attracting girls like Abigail Williams and Betty Paris with stories of enchantment. Okay, so she's telling stories of her homeland or whatever, right? These tales about sexual encounters with demons, uh, swaying the minds of men, and fortune-telling were said to stimulate the imagination of the girls. And so that made Tatuba, you know, an obvious target. Right. Good. Listen to this one. Good was a destitute woman accused of witchcraft because of her reputation. At her trial, she was accused of rejecting Puritan ideals of self-control and discipline when she chose to torment and scorn instead of leading them towards the path of salvation. Sarah Osborne rarely attended church meetings. She was accused of witchcraft because Puritans believed that Osborne had her own self-interest in mind following her remarriage to an indentured servant. Citizens of the town disapproved of her trying to control her son's inheritance from her previous marriage, so she's accused. Why not? (laughs) We're just throwing people out there. So basically they they didn't go to church enough, so they're... So partially, but you know I was talking about the family feud? Yes. Okay, so one of the afflicted girls was Ann Putnam Jr., right? So, the historians looking into this, they, they're saying that there was the family feud dealing with her family, okay? Okay. It's saying that basically uh, the, it may have been a major cause of the witch trials. At the, at the time, uh, there was the vicious rivalry between the Putnam and Porter families, one which, was deeply, which deeply polarized the people of Salem. So it's like everyone in town knew these two families, and you pick, you picked your side, right? Okay. Uh, citizens often have heated debates, which escalated into full-fledged fighting based solely on their opinion on the feud. <laughs> so it's a pretty big deal. But now you've got one of those girls as, you know, say that's afflicted. And so when they start naming people, guess what? You're going after the other family. <laughs> March of 1692, each of these women, kind of an outcast, right? Right. Uh, they exhibited many of the character traits typical of the usual suspects for witchcraft accusations. They're left to defend themselves. I mean, they're brought before the local magistrates on the complaint of witchcraft. They're inter- interrogated for several days, and then they're sent to jail. So, bam, got them. Others... Uh, Accused of witchcraft was uh, Martha Corey. She basically expressed skepticism about the credibility of the girl's accusations. So she's a witch. (laughs) So you can't even speak up to try and defend them. Uh, Dorothy Good. Remember Sarah Good? Yes. Okay. Dorothy is her daughter. Okay. She's only four years old 
Okay, but that didn't stop them from questioning her. And her answers were construed as a confession that implicated her mother. Oh, wow. Rebecca Nurse, as with Martha Corey, Rebecca Nurse was a full covenanted member of the church. This concerned the townspeople. They thought if such upstanding people, you know, could be witches, anybody could be a witch. And church membership was no protection from the accusation. So now everybody's starting to get worried, okay? Rachel Clinton. She's arrested for witchcraft at the end of March on independent charges unrelated to the affliction of the those girls in Salem Village, but she's, you know, she's on their radar now too. Right. I mean, it's insane what happens here. I, I think we should probably take a break on this episode. Okay. It's a decent stopping point there. We're gonna pick it back up and we're gonna get into a lot of these people and the examinations they were subjected to. I, this is the part that I'm actually interested in. Cause it, I, I just want to see how ridiculous this got. Yeah. Like, I remember, you know, some of this from middle school, high school, but it's like, I, I, I remember a lot of them being ridiculous as is, but I really want to read the in-depth stuff. Yeah, so it's it's pretty neat. But I wanted to give a little bit of pretext to this, though, that basically had it not been for increase in Cotton Mather just by themselves, this probably would have never came right, about. Right. Because they didn't instill the people who had the same beliefs as them that came in and now they're in control of this government and this government is just Well and, and they, they hired on their own yeah. group of people. So it right. was it was so one sided. Yep. And then like say, then you've got the deal with the Reverend uh, Samuel Paris. Right. And him basically just he he didn't care he called everybody out for little you know infractions and put them to public shame he's not helping to ease any of the disputes amongst uh, the congregation members like like this this feels like a lot of like financial incentive yeah being made like like back you know backdoor deals like hey if you accuse her you know of as a witch i'll cut you in on yes x amount it's like this really does feel like just a financial i mean and well, there's some sort of payoff for it. Oh, well, it may yeah. not even may not be financial, but people are definitely getting something out right. of what they're doing. Po- so po- politics at its best, yes, or worst. I guess I should say, yeah. So uh, we'll pick back up and we'll finish. Uh, we'll finish these Salem trials and uh, getting into all the good stuff with it. All right. Okay. Sounds good. So remember, subscribe to the podcast. Get us on YouTube on TikTok. Anywhere you get your podcast from, follow, like, share, tell your friends. Remember, Wikipedia, they run on donations, right? Give them a couple bucks if you can. Uh, It really does help. They've got a lot of money that they need to put out, servers, people working for them. Everything isn't free. So give give them a couple bucks if you can spare it. That's all we've got for this episode. So we'll meet back up here and finish this off. For Wiki Bros, I'm Justin. This is Kyle. And we'll see you soon.